Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, June the 22nd, 2023. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco, uh, where I live, overlooking the Castro District. Everyone's excited about uh, the celebration of Pride uh, over the weekend. And we've been pursuing that on the show recently. Earlier today, uh, I did a show with R.K. Russell, a former professional uh, NFL uh, player who uh, has a new book out called The Yards uh, Between Us on his coming out as uh, a bisexual man uh, in, in the context of professional American sport. It pursued the standard American narrative, liberal narrative, when it comes to sexual identity. Everything was a secret. Then it all came out, and that was a good thing. That's the standard narrative or the traditional liberal narrative, I guess, when it comes to uh, the gay community. We called uh, uh, the interview a queer American life, but it probably should have been uh, titled A Gay American Life or A Bisexual American Life because words matter. That's what we're going to be talking about today with my guest, uh, James Kerchick. He's been on the show before. Uh, his book, uh, Secret City, The Hidden History of Gay Washington, is a bestseller, a very important, very uh, well-received book about the standard narrative of gay America, or at least gay Washington, D.C. It was all a secret uh, in the most secret city on Earth. Uh, but now things have changed. Um, Jamie, though, or James, uh, has, I think, in some ways begun to rethink his conception of the liberal narrative when it comes to homosexuality in America. He has a fascinating new piece in the Liberties Quarterly, uh, Liberty's uh, a wonderful journal, uh, which we've had lots of conversations, including Michael Waltz and Mark Lilla recently, as a new piece out from queer to gay to queer. And he's joining us from, uh, you're in Washington, D.C., are you, James? I am. You're always in Washington, but you're out now. You're not secret anymore. Is that no, right? No, not at all. Uh, thank you for having me. So, uh, in all seriousness, James, um, words matter, don't they? At least according to you in terms of this piece, an excellent piece from queer to gay to queer. Why do these words matter? And what's the difference between the word gay and the word queer? Well, the word queer, if you just look at the dictionary definition, um, not that your listeners or viewers will really need me to explain. Uh, it means strange. It means weird. Um, different, and it was used as a slur against gay people uh, for a very long time. Um, and there are many gay people today, particularly older gay people, older than me, say, uh, for whom this word really stings. I mean, this was the word that they were called on the playground. Um, this was often the last word that a gay man would hear before having his head bashed in. Um, and it's only in recent years, very recent years, I would say the last two or three years, that this word has now um, proliferated to the extent where you don't even see gay and lesbian that much anymore. It's now become 
really the sort of accepted term for anyone who is not heterosexual um, and also including trans people, bisexual people, obviously. Um, but it's really become the preferred term almost for uh, homosexuals, say. And um, I have a lot of issues with this. And the essay is about, is about more than just the meaning of this word. But I think the, the reemergence of this word and the popularization of this word um, really stands for something. Um, because if the whole point of the gay rights movement and of um, what, what most individual gay people were striving for um, was mainstream acceptance and integration into mainstream American society in the form of being able to serve openly in the military, being able to marry, which is the most really most important institution, um, social institution that we have, um, and being accepted in our in our families. Uh, most gay people, you know, not that long ago, were rejected by their families. Had to start their own families of. Um, meeting other gay people because uh, their own families, their own natural families rejected them. Um, and then being able to be integrated into our government. That's what my book was really about, was about gay people not being able to serve their country, being excluded formally from uh, their government because they were deemed national security risks. Queerness just seems a complete rejection of that entire um, agenda of, 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 what, of what the gay rights movement was trying to achieve and of what individual gay people were trying to achieve, which was to just become normal people and just um, accepted members of their community. Uh, and when, when I see the word queer, uh, I think about a rejection of mainstream society, of bourgeois values. It seems this um, insistence on, on defining gay people as being separate from uh, mainstream society and the, the majority of, of, of society. Um, and so it, 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 it bothers me. And I know it bothers a lot of other uh, gay people who feel really excluded when they see this word. They, they, they don't feel like it's, it's describing them in the way that the word gay does. Or if you're a lesbian, the word lesbian does. Um, even LGBT, I thought, was a better um, sort of omni-descriptive um, term for the community um, than queer, which I think also has very strong political connotations. I don't know many, I, I mean, I know no right-of-center gay people, which there are many in this country. <laughs> I mean, about a third of self-identified gay people voted for Donald Trump. So you can imagine, you know, they don't, they don't feel included by this word queer. Um, nor do more, nor do many people who are, you know, centrist uh, or or even left of center. Um, does 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 this word describe them? It seems to be a word that's been really kind of foisted upon us by um, activists. Um, so that's that's what bothers me about this word, and it's what bothers me about the sort of new culture war that we seem to be in. Uh, this kind of LGBT culture war. It seems to have really heated up over the past couple of years. And has come as a real shock to many of us because we assumed um, in that period between 2015 to 2020, after gay marriage was achieved at the national level. And then in 2020, the Bostock Supreme Court decision, which included gay and trans people in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, protecting them from discrimination. Um, it really seemed that this was an issue that had been uh, kind of decided, uh, right, that, that homosexuality was no longer going to be a, a salient issue in American politics. And then it's, it's, it's come roaring back now. Yeah, um, which uh, I have to admit, I, 
I find it intriguing, uh, analytically at least. You, you mentioned the same-sex marriage narrative, and we did a show with Sasha Eisenberg. I'm sure you know his book on same-sex marriage. It's a very positive book saying that if, if, if Americans can accept same-sex marriage, then they can accept gun rights and all sorts of other things. But as you say, things have changed. I wonder, you said a lot of um, homosexual Americans don't like the term queer and prefer the term gay. Why not just accept the fragmentation of the community? Why, why should all homosexual Americans define themselves with the same word? Well, look, I mean, if there, if there are gay people who like the word queer, then they should be able to use that word. I'm, I'm a liberal pluralist. I'm not telling anyone how to define themselves. My problem uh, is when those who adopt the word queer, they seem to um, uh, use it as a descriptor for, for, for everyone. Um, or if you even read the New York Times now, where the word queer appears more often than the word gay or lesbian. Right. So even in our leading news institutions, they're now using this word queer. I'm not sure I would call the New York Times our leading. Uh, I think it's in, the most I think it's the most influential American yeah, news or, or news notorious, news. depending which way you want to think of it. So <laughs> let, let's get to the, the core of the argument um, you bring up in. in, in a, it's a brilliant essay because you get a, you pack a lot of stuff in there. It's Thank a you. short essay, but it, it gets to the heart of the matter. You make the comparison with the N-word. You don't talk about the Y-word for Jews, but certainly the N-word for African-Americans, suggesting that there are things that the, the, the shall we call it, the, the Q-word and the N-word, they share stuff in common and yet they're different. Maybe you can talk about how and why the use of the N-word and the Q-word are both similar and different. Well, they're similar, I guess, in the sense that they um, are slurs you know queer isn't as severe only in the sense that there are there are some uses of the term queer that i wouldn't find objectionable nor would would others um i mean for instance you know very popular television shows queer eye for the straight guy um queer as folk which was a british television show that was then imported into the united states um so there are there are ways in which that word can be used in which it's not a slur, in which it's not meant to dehumanize gay people in the way that the N word is pretty much always used to dehumanize. Although obviously there's um, it's used a lot in rap music, right, and sort of in, in, in vernacular um, African American culture. Um, but um, it is it's it's it's. Predominant. If you talk to most gay people, I think, particularly of a certain age, it's predominantly believed, or, or um, it's it's associated as being a slur. It was it was a word that was used, and still is in some cases, used to dehumanize um, gay people. Um, so that's the that's the similarity and the and the difference. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jamie, but it, it it seems to me that you the argument you're making, and this is obviously enormously controversial, people are very sensitive about it, is that being a homosexual is something that's biological, that you're simply born with it. Either you like men or you like women, and that's just the nature of things. Mm -hmm. um, and that is essentially how you define gayness, shall we say. Whereas queerness is thought of in a more, or, or you're representing queerness in a more political or more cultural yeah. sense it's something you choose it's not something you're born with is that fair i think that is fair it's sort of 
if you look at you know homosexual homosexuality or the the homosexual nature is something that um, everyone in this community would share. And then there are people who sort of choose queerness uh, as um, sort of an extra commitment. Uh, and it defines their politics. It defines their relationship to the world, their, their real kind of opposition to the mainstream, which I think is what is, is, how, is how I understand it. And I'm, and I'm quoting, pe you know, people like Bell Hooks or Gail Rubin, you know, sort of queer theorists, or, you know, Judith Butler. Um, and my problem with it is that they seem to imply they're 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 not willing to just sort of limit this understanding to themselves. They they seem to believe that every homosexual is sort of obligated to live their lives this way, and that not living your life in this way is a betrayal somehow of your fellow queers. So they believe uh, we actually did a show uh, earlier today on bell hooks too. Just. Does Bell, does that school believe that homosexuality is, is something we choose? Um, they're kind of muffled on this, right? Because they obviously would never want to argue that. Um, you, see, you have to understand that the argument that homosexuality is a choice was something that was for many, many decades um, an argument that was used against gay people by the Christian right, the religious right, that this was sort of a, a sexually depraved uh, behavior that was either, you know, chosen or was the result of people being molested as children and then that, that would make them homosexual. So it's, so it's, 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 it's a very freighted issue. And obviously um, the kind of queer side of this would not want to lend that legitimacy. Um, and there's also this belief that if it's a choice, that it's somehow less valid, right? Because if you can choose to be homosexual, then you can just you can just choose to be straight, right? And why would we give civil rights to why would we change the definition of marriage and extend all these civil rights to people who are merely choosing a certain, you know, homosexual lifestyle as if it's a, you know, as, as if it's any other sort of chosen lifestyle. So they don't or even a gender. I mean, because of course at the heart of much of the controversy and the sensitivity is the issue of of trans and our, our our choice if we want to to switch our genders. Yeah, that's a separate issue. We can get into that later. But in terms of kind of the queer theorists, I mean, they they sort of do and they don't on on this issue of whether or not you can choose your sexual orientation because um, they they sort they they seem to not. They, they, they seem to not believe or they seem to believe that anyone um, can choose to live as a homosexual and that, you know, they don't like the notion of the of the Kinsey scale um, that came out in 1948. Um, and they seem to believe that, you know, most people are sexually fluid. That seems to be the inherent belief here um, is that most people don't fit into these boxes of homosexual and heterosexual. And this goes back to Foucault you know, and sort of the invention of homosexuality in the 19th century, which is that, you know, scientists and doctors invented these categories and, and it's a form of discursive power, um, this, this, this terminology and placing people into certain kind of binary, you know, boxes and that we're all sort of free roaming sexual beings and we can choose to be one thing one day, one day the next, and that we're all basically bisexual. I mean, I don't, I don't believe this. I don't think the evidence indicates this it, it's it's ironic in a way jamie because you're writing for liberties you're a self 
identifying liberal, I, I'm in your camp as well. And yet the heart of your theory on sexuality isn't really liberal. It's not a matter of choice. It's one that's simply given, almost God-given. Yeah, um, I do. I, is I, there I a do. contradiction there or is it just ironic? No, it's just, it's just biological. I just don't think that people choose, they don't choose their sexual orientation. <laughs> um, uh, most of us are hardwired in one direction or the other. There are a small number of people who are genuinely, you know, bisexual, but even among bisexuals, you find uh, there are either, you know, um, 80 to 90% of their interests lie with one or the other sex. It's very rare that you come across someone who's, you know, 50-50, right? Um, so people are either predominantly homosexual or, or heterosexual. And that's a scientific nature. Right. Scientific and, and, and what you're arguing in your piece, which I think is so interesting, is you suggest between 2008 and 2021 that people who identified themselves as bisexual, uh, that there was a tripling of this rate amongst liberals, uh, yes. leftist liberals. Yes. So what you're arguing in the piece, and this seems to be borne out, at least my sense culturally, is that the notion of bisexuality and of sexual identity broadly has is being redefined as uh, a badge of honor as it, a political it, as a political orientation not a sexual one right because while that number of self-declared bisexuals and, and this is mostly among the younger generations and you're also seeing an increase in sort of all lgbt identities and you can look some of that obviously is because we're becoming a more liberal and open society Therefore, presumably more people are going to feel more comfortable coming out. It does not explain, you know, jumps of this degree. And furthermore, those increases in supposed bisexuality and homosexuality, they are not corresponding with similar increases in actual same-sex sexual behavior, right? So a lot of people are saying, they're telling a pollster that they're bisexual or they're even homosexual, but they're not actually having same-sex it's, it's, it's incredibly ironic, um, Jamie, that everything's been turned on its head. The, the Washington, D.C. that you wrote about in your book was a city of secrets where no one would reveal their homosexuality. And now the reverse is true. <laughs> yes, look, and in some ways that's a great thing, right? Because we don't want people to feel ashamed. Well, it's, I don't know if it's great. I mean, everyone's continuing to lie. Either they're lying <laughs> that they're not gay or they're lying that they are gay. What's I'll so great about this. that? I'll just say this in the sense that I wrote a book and we talked about it last year, documenting a period of time in which to be a homosexual was the worst, most disgraceful thing you could be in American public life, worse and more dangerous and disgraceful than being a communist okay, in Cold War America. So that's the America that I wrote about. Now we're living in a time when people think it actually redounds to their benefit. <laughs> be gay. So, you know, in that sense, it's sort of like, what am I complaining about? Right. Um, obviously, but what, what bothers me is that a lot of these people are saying, oh my God, I'm so oppressed, right? I'm so oppressed. It's so hard to be gay or queer. You know, I have a book to recommend them <laughs> called Secret City. It will, it will enlighten them on, on, on what it used to be like. And then the other thing you argue, which I think is particularly of concern is that and in an odd way this goes back to the 1930s is there's this curious synergy between the theorists of queerness 
and the DeSantis's and Trumps of the world. So perhaps explain that, why these two extreme ideologies of queerness and of uh, right-wing nationalism and hostility to difference, what, what they have in common. Right. So the, the queers want to kind of undermine our traditional notions of, you know, the sex binary, right? They say sex isn't a binary. Uh, it exists on a spectrum, um, which is just not true um, and can be quite confusing, I think, for a lot of young people. And the kind of pushing of this ideology in schools um, is inviting not surprisingly, a backlash, right? And we saw that with the so-called, you know, don't say gay bill in Florida, which has now uh, been many measures like that are now proliferating um, across the country. And then it's become this sort of, as you say, like 1930s-esque kind of Weimar um, dynamic where you have an extreme left is provoking um, a far right, inviting a backlash um, from a far right. And I think most gay and lesbian people are kind of caught in the middle where they, um, they don't agree with, with radical queer theory, um, with, with the tenets of it. We certainly can't because our understanding of ourselves as gay men and women is defined by the sex binary. We kind of rely on that to understand ourselves. Um, this notion that men are men and women are women. And that's what um, defines us as gay people. And that's what defined our oppression for so long was that we were oppressed because of our same sex desire. So the, the sex binary is very important to us. Um, so we don't like that. And we certainly don't like this backlash, which is coming from um, a right wing, which is really failing to distinguish between the sort of radical queer theory and kind of everyday, you know, gay men and women. And I think we saw that in, in the Florida bill, which, which bans not only this sort of teaching of these, abstruse, not, you know, what I consider out there uh, destructive, harmful queer theory. It also um, bars the, te the teaching or even the mention of, you know, sexual or, or the discussion of sexual orientation. It's very similar to the law that, that Vladimir Putin passed a decade ago, uh, where you can't make any sort of positive reference to, to homosexuality or gay people. So, it's um, these two sides are feeding into each other and like a lot in American life today on, on a lot of issues, not just this one, but on race and on gender. I think we see two extremes, um, uh, illiberal extremes on the left and the right, um, encouraging each other, provoking each other, um, supporting each other unintentionally and the center uh, collapsing and sort of losing its voice and not being heard. The liberal center, but the, 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 the queerness crowd are not, in, they're not into book burning, are they? Like the DeSantis's and Trump's of the world. Um, I don't see them. Uh, well, look, they're absolutely into canceling. <laughs> they might not be banning books um, because they're not really in position. Well, they are. I mean, when it, when it comes to certain ideas and concepts and books that might challenge you know, the kind of radical transgender ideology, absolutely. I mean, look at what they've done to J.K. Rowling. Um, look at what they've done to a lot of lesser, less powerful or well-known voices who are critical of many aspects of this novel, you know, radical transgender ideology. So they are, they're, both sides are very illiberal when it comes to tolerating um, dissenting views. 
Um, and I really think that it just it, 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 it just depends who's in power, right? So yes, DeSantis and the right there, they tend to have power in state legislatures um, and they are using, they are abusing their power to clamp down on views that they don't like. But if you go to the academy, okay, which is almost universally dominated by the far left, um, they absolutely use their power to clamp down on views that they don't like. Um, and increasingly that's the case in uh, the media that they control. Um, so I, well, neither, well, I, I explain what you mean, the media they control. Would that include the New York Times? Um, I think the time, well, look, the Times has actually done quite good coverage on the transgender issue, but I wrote about this a couple of months ago where a huge number of transgender and LGBTQIA plus activists organized a public campaign to attack the New York Times for what this, this might sound absurd, what they called the New York Times' anti-transgender coverage. And what they did was they, they took a number of stories that were very, you know, uh, scrupulous uh, news articles, investigative pieces on certain aspects of, um, you know, youth transgender medicine. There was a story that they did on certain school, on, on debates in school districts about whether or not um, teachers should withhold information about students going through gender transitions from their parents, um, debates about the participation of transgender women, biological, you know, natal males in women's sports. The Times did a series of stories on these, on these highly contentious, controversial topics. I found them to be very scrupulous and fair, but because they raised, you know, questions and because they interviewed people who did not um, fall into line with, the radical transgender activists, which is, you know, when you're writing a newspaper article, you're supposed to quote people on different sides of an issue. Simply for doing that, the kind of radical transgender lobby organized a very public campaign to pressure the New York Times to retract these stories. And they attacked reporters by names. They uh, organized an open letter with thousands of people signing on to it, including New York Times contributors. These are the tactics that they use. They're not into debate. They're not into you know, small L liberal concept of argument and evidence-based debate. They want to shut down people who disagree with them. They want to label anyone who challenges them, including gay and lesbian people, or even some trans people who disagree with their concepts. They want to label them bigots and hate mongers. Those are the tactics that they use to shut down debate. Are they taking advantage of soft liberals, uh, Jamie? Absolutely. There's nothing more that a, that a liberal fears being called than a racist or a bigot or a hater. Um, understandably, right? I mean, liberal-minded people want to be accepting and they want to be tolerant. And unfortunately, um, I think in, in, in a way that the gay movement did not present uh, um, a challenge to other people's rights, right? Like allowing gay people to marry did not threaten straight people's marriages. Allowing gay people equal access into the military or institutions did not present any sort of challenge or, or, or uh, it did not question the rights of straight soldiers, okay? But for instance, allowing transgender women into women's sports presents a conflict and we should be able to debate this, right? And, it, and, and, and the same goes for transgender youth medicine. You're talking about impressionable young people here um, who are gender dysphoric, who might be confused about their gender identity um, but this is a much more complicated issue about, you know, what age should we be administering hormones and puberty blockers is a much more complicated 
um, issue, fraught issue, uh, which we're already seeing in Europe, they're dialing it back. I mean, just the other couple of weeks ago in Great Britain, they've now blocked the provision of puberty blockers to children outside of clinical trials. This is this is um, the same measures in many states in America that the LGBTQ plus lobby is calling, you know, bigoted and hateful. These are measures that have, that are being adopted in countries like Britain, Finland, Norway, Sweden, hardly anyone's idea of far right fascist countries, which have been experiment, which have been um, engaged in, the, in, in these sorts of questions in transgender youth medicine for much longer than the United States has. They also all have socialized medicine systems, right? It's, there's no profit motive uh, in those countries like there is in the, in the United States, which should make us much more skeptical, skeptical um, about these medical interventions because um, there's a lot of money to be made uh, from, from transgender medicine, right? So these are, I'm just saying that these are complicated issues. In, 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 in people should be able to have good faith conversations and debates about them. Well, that um, isn't that what you and I are doing now? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we're not really debating, I don't think, but I, but because we, we seem to be on the same page here. But yes, no, I do. I, I mean, you're, you're asking me questions. You're, you're challenging me and I'm, and I'm trying to answer you. Uh, and I think it's really, I think that these conversations are really hard to have in most, I would say, kind of liberal mainstream environments. Um, you, I mean, we just talked about the New York Times, right, where people are, I can tell you, because I know people who work there, they walk on eggshells when it comes to this issue um, in a way that they never did when it, when it came to gay and lesbian issues, that for whatever reason, this issue is one that just strikes fear into people. And the problem is that because liberals can't have this debate amongst themselves, um, the, the issue gets hijacked by opportunists on the right. Um, and that's what's happening right now, uh, right, is that you see, you know, Donald Trump or Matt Walsh, this kind of right wing provocateur uh, for the Daily Wire. I mean, there's a lot of them. They've now taken advantage of this because liberals feel terrified that they can't say no or that they can't even um, sort of question the excesses the obvious clear excesses of the um, radical transgender lobby. Finally, you, you make the argument that there's no end to this, that the, the logic of the transgender or the, the queerness community has no end to it. Won't it ultimately, Jamie, simply burn itself out, become more and more absurd? Um, I think that's happening. Um, I just saw a congressional hearing yesterday where the leader of the nation's top LGBTQ plus group um, was saying that transgender women should be permitted into sports. And she was claiming that Serena Williams um, could beat any could beat any man in tennis, in, um, which, which Serena Williams herself said. Uh, and she actually played um, the 203rd ranked man and she lost to him. Right. Because that, that's just biology. I mean, I'm sure she's a more skillful player than the 203rd ranked man on the U.S. tour. But men just have obvious or I would have thought they were obvious physical advantages over women. It's why we have a whole category. I mean, you know, rape is a crime that men commit against uh, women. Uh, you know, we have all these um, I mean, feminism was was predicated on the understanding that men 
were a stronger, more powerful sex, which is how they were able to hold women down for 2,000 years. And that's why we needed feminism, because men were physically stronger than women, and, and, and they were able to prevent women from doing things. Um, the penis has been a weapon. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a weapon of war, in war. Uh, it's been a weapon in the home. It's been a weapon on the streets. You know, men use their sexual organ as a weapon against women. This is what feminism has been, has been predicated on. Um, and, 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 you know, so I think most people find all of this stuff ridiculous. And the fact that we can't speak out and question some of it um, in, in, in many circles, that many people feel really terrified about this, I think is a really bad sign um, about where we are headed as a society and a country. And I would have thought by now, as, you, as you're, if you, you, you've asked me, I would have thought by now that the, that the, that the self-evident absurdities of this ideology would have um, led to its you know, burning out already. But it doesn't seem to. It, it, I mean, it, 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 it doesn't seem that it's, that it's um, self-immolated yet. Um, it seems every day more and more institutions are adopting the kind of language, the, the strange language of this ideology. I saw just a couple of weeks ago, Johns Hopkins University, um, define, I don't know if you saw this, they, they defined lesbians as non-men attracted to non-men. Yeah, I, I wonder whether, again, a, a lot of this stuff is based in the universities, which are becoming increasingly peripheral and absurd themselves. Well, I don't know if they're peripheral, Andrew, because it's the idea, these terrible ideas, they escape into the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, finally, right. Jamie, I, I take your point. I'm, I'm, I'm in your camp on this one. I, I wonder whether there's something particularly ominous and eerie, given the prevalence of biotechnology and the fact that the state or law or culture or morality are going to have to address these issues in a more and more profound way as we come up with technologies that allow us to invent and reinvent the human body and sexuality in the 21st century. So I, I think some of this is interesting. Some of it might be a little bit culturally frothy. But I wonder, as the century progresses, whether, it, whether it's going to become more and more central and important and ominous for us as a, as a species. Sexual orientation or just sexuality? You're, you're well, thinking. the idea that we have technologies now that can allow us to invent and reinvent the body. You talked about trans and biology. We didn't have technologies before that allowed teenagers to turn themselves from men into women or from women into men. And in a way that, uh, ironically, for all the liberal idea of uh, it, it's a final destination, right? If you change your hormones, that's it. Well, you still can't change your sex. Um, you just, I mean, we're not aware of any possibility of actually, you know, changing your your cellular makeup. Um, we haven't we haven't figured out a way to do that yet. You can externally, you can perform all sorts of surgeries, and you can take hormones to to um, maybe approximate uh, a different sex, but you cannot actually biologically change your sex. Um, but yes, I mean, there is a definitely a sort of uh, brave new world aspect to a lot of this. I mean, one thing that I'm interested in, let's say they do locate that gay gene, if there is one, um, will we start to have sexual orientation 
select abortions, right? In the same way that they had sex selective abortions in, in a country like China, um, where you you know you could find out the sex of your child before it's born and then decide whether to abort it. Or you know you can do that now. Um, you can find out if your child will have birth defects or Down syndrome. Um, will one day we be able to determine if a fetus is gay or straight? Uh, and would that lead certain parents to abort their unborn gay children? Or queer or gay? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. It, 